Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Sometimes our commander-in-chief, ideally upholder of the law, fails to inspire us. Take the 1970s. Well, I'm not a crook. Or the 90s. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And now the 21st century. I'm an extremely stable genius. You're about to hear two attorneys make sense out of a legal system some say is a train wreck. Here are Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks. This is Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. Let's remind folks uh, what the podcast is all about, Connor. It's about uh, the top legal stories of the week as viewed through, uh, through my prism of a baby boomer libertarian. And I'm not sure, do you, do you have a prism or do you have just like a distorted chunk of glass? Yeah, something like that. It warps everything I see into sort of a hazy, wavy mess. Uh, Already. Well, 30 seconds prism, in and, and we can't agree. Yeah. We're contentious with my, each other. My prism is the uh, millennial progressive uh, pr- prism. Um, you know, it, it occurs to me. Like I said, said a lot of distortion. Right, it's exactly. murky. Yeah, we don't ha- we don't have anybody Not, younger than a millennial. Translucent at this non-trans- point. At this point, millennials are in their thirties. <laughs> I'm, I'm I might be an older millennial, but most of us are in our late twenties at least. We got to get a Zoomer up in here. Age, they can vote. Age is just a state of mind. It's true. So uh, every week we tackle three big legal questions of the day. Uh, here they are. Number one: lawsuit weaponization. The nightmare continues, mm-hmm. and that's a little cryptic. But I'll explain. I'm talking about this uh, wacky law in Texas that says, oh, you can't have an abortion. Well, abortions are legal, but doggone it, you can't have them here in Texas. And people get to sue you and discourage you from having them. And since it's going to take years for the courts to strike it down, we're going to discourage thousands of abortions. So now Missouri is getting on the train. They're doing the same kind of thing. With a new and perhaps even more egregious, ridiculous use of the legal system. Because Missouri is saying that if a Missourian woman goes anywhere, Antarctica, North Dakota... (laughs) If if you help her get an abortion, if you're the Uber driver or uh, the abortion doctor or the American Airlines pilot who flies her to London, Mm -hmm. uh, somebody from the show me state may sue the person who helps the Missourian get an abortion. We'll talk about that. Topic two. uh, What do Apple computers and Elvis's estate have in common? It's a fun riddle. They each have their own police force. We'll talk about <laughs> trademark enforcement by Apple and their pit bull lawyers. And finally, question lawyers. three. Did Jussie Smollett get a raw deal? I mean, five months in prison. In well, a I guess would be in jail. Generally, if it's under a year, it's jail. If it's over a year, it's prison. But um, we'll talk about whether or not he was treated unfairly by the judge. Uh, before we get to these big questions, a little preview of our two special features at the end of the podcast. Number one, Guess the Verdict, America's favorite game show where I give Connor the facts of a real-life case, and he gets to guess the outcome. And uh, we haven't spoken about this case before, have we? You have no idea the nope. outcome of this case. Nope. And it's always, I always go in cold. It's an adventure. And this case, I'll give you a little tease here. It's the case of the yodeling nightmare. So Connor's going to mm. get to guess about that. <laughs> and finally, at the end of the podcast, uh, we're going to have the second edition of our brand new feature called Stories I'd Tell My Friends If I Had Any. 
to clarify, I have several stories. So I'm going to tell a story. Connor's going to tell a story. They're not legal stories. They're right. just fun stories Life from our stories, lives. Yeah. yeah. So if you if you're, um, don't want to hear that, then when we get rid of the legal stuff in a half hour or so, you can just, you know, go back to uh, watching Entertainment Tonight or, or actually Inside or Edition. Love is Blind or whatever else. Something like that. So that's what You chose Inside Edition because you're frequently on Inside Edition. Every once in a while. Yeah, okay. There and uh, so that is what we have in store. But before we get to lawsuit weaponization, a couple of um, fun items in the news. Um, the University of Alabama, Connor, um, has a sign in their elevators. Why, you say, would you have a sign? Is it one of those signs that says, this was last inspected yeah. in 1958? It's important. So prepare to die. <laughs> no, no. Hold on to your butt. Here's what the sign says. It says, quote, do not click buttons with genitalia. Cameras are watching. Hmm. Okay. Now, I have no idea what might have prompted the erection of this sign. I think I... But I will I say... Think as I a, have an idea. As a libertarian, Connor, right. I object, object to this kind of control yeah. of, of a person's it's behavior. Terrible. As long... As far as I'm concerned, as long as you bring hand sanitizer, sure. wet wipes, yeah. and a cigarette lighter to sterilize the area yeah, yeah, yeah. that you infected, I would say let somebody do anything they want with those buttons. I mean, it makes sense. Uh, I mean, now, you're a progressive. You probably want to kind of micromanage the way people behave themselves in an elevator, don't you? <laughs> I, yeah, yeah I, I do have a, a, bit, uh, a bit of that, but I, I will say that, you know, given... The reality of, of how filthy most surfaces are that we're all touching and our hands are the ones we use to manipulate doorknobs and our, our wipe our noses and then shake some gross person's hand and then yeah, rub You can all stop that with on. the examples. I don't it, think we need yeah, any no, more examples. Yeah. But whereas genitalia generally spend most of the day uh, wrapped up tight, uh, <laughs> uh, out of you know harm's way. Except in one of them nudist colonies. True, good point. They're living free. And so flopping around, I'd say my genitalia might be some of the cleanest parts of me, certainly cleaner than the palms and fingers of my hands, which are generally out manipulating objects in the world. What a nightmare. Is it going to be complex to edit out all this (laughs) from the podcast? Because I'm not so good at editing, but I think I'm going to have to learn how to do it. Well, anyway, let's not uh, defame the University of Alabama any further. But, you know, they had to know they were going to get on YouTube with this sign. Mm -hmm. Uh, Second question. Um. Is it possible Biden's past is continuing to haunt him? Mm. Now, you may remember when the Democrats a few years ago just roasted poor Senator McConnell for saying, McConnell said, hey, let's not have a Supreme Court hearing now. There's a presidential election in the fall. Uh, You know, let's wait. And the Democrats said, yeah, come on, creep. You know, you're totally uh, against democracy. And then then the GOP dug out a Biden clip from the 90s saying essentially the same thing. Mm hmm. Now, now there's another example of Biden's past coming back to haunt him. He has nominated, as we know, Judge Jackson of the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals to be on the United States Supreme Court, fulfilling his promise to put a black woman on the court. Okay, Mm -hmm. and uh, some in the in the GOP, not that many, but some Republicans are saying, hey, this kind of a quota deal. You know, what about putting the best person on? Well, let's check out Biden's statement. As chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee in 1991, when President George H.W. Bush nominated Clarence Thomas to the Supreme Court, Mr. Biden accused President Bush of putting racial identity of ahead of qualifications. He said, quote, had Thomas been white, he never would have been nominated. The only reason he's on the court is because he's black. End right. quote. 
Is this an example of Biden flip-flopping again? No, it's not that he's flip-flopping. I mean, really, the circumstances are different, right? There are so few black conservatives in American politics. It, it's just really rare, right? And the, resu- the getting Clarence Thomas on the court, they're looking for the absolutely most ideologically pure, no chance of a you know diversion from party line, will, you know, do what the conservatives want him to do. And they chose Clarence Thomas because he was black and because they wanted to, you know, put a black conservative on the court. It was pretty obvious that they did that in large part because of his race. But it is also in large part because of his ideological purity. He's absolutely hardcore conservative, far right. There's no, you know, no one is saying that he's secretly, you know, some Republicans say Judge Jackson's pretty far left. Sure. But the the, you know, express purpose of choosing Clarence Thomas was to basically uh, kind of try to, to, to put her up on the court and say, look, we're not uh, put him up on the court and say, look, we're not we're not racist. Look, we'll put a we'll put a black guy in the Supreme Court that we're not racist at all. Meanwhile, they're doing a bunch of things, the conservatives, which are super duper racist. And I'll tell you. Democrats are doing a bunch of things that are super duper racist, too. And so by the by putting, you know, a, a black person on the court, they're not absolving themselves of those sins. Absolutely not. It, it is a huge problem. And those of us who are more left than the Democrats will tell you the Democrats are going to ride this train of, you know, choo choo. We put uh, a black woman on the Supreme Court and therefore we are beyond reproach. We're liberals. We're progressives. Everything we do must be the right thing for a long time. But that doesn't mean it's not also the right choice to do it with Clarence Thomas he's so far right and his positions are so anti-progressive that to have chosen him as like a symbol of progressivism to say oh yeah yeah we're not racist but then put him in place and have him uphold all the systems of racism and oppression that actually is a big mismatch and a big problem putting judge jackson on the bench will mean that she creates a better country a better world a more progressive uh you know place as a result of her better perspective as a black woman. Well, let me say this. So it, it is substantively different, even though you, you sure you could say they did the exact same thing. But look at the context. Look at the circumstances. What are they trying to do by putting a black person let on the court? This, Shut Connor. up. Black people who are, are claiming them, uh, claiming that they're racist or actually satisfy the demands of black people and progressives to say we should have diverse perspectives on the court. So your answer has just shown how great a lawyer you oh, are. I mean, you. it's an amazingly excellent. There's no stronger defense for the notion that that was not a flip-flop. Thank in fact, you. of course, it, it was an egregious <laughs> flip-flop, and she's just as left as Clarence is right. But you did a fantastic Thank, I appreciate job. it. I appreciate it. All right, That's question. This, this podcast is all about is complimenting me, really, when you come down right. to it. <laughs> question number one. Now we're on to the major questions of the day. Uh, lawsuit weaponization. The nightmare continues. So remember the Texas abortion law was passed months ago, letting Anybody in Texas, actually anybody anywhere, anybody in the world, sue a Texas abortion doctor or the Uber driver who drives a Texas woman to the abortion clinic uh, if she's trying to get an abortion uh, beyond a certain number of weeks. The idea that these these people who came up with this uh, law, 
the idea that they had was to win the war without firing a single shot. Because that's what the Texas abortion law supporters are trying to do. They are trying to discourage, deter as many abortions as they can until the courts get around to saying, nice try, guys. It actually wasn't such a nice try because it's really wrong. Roe versus Wade says it's legal to do this. So you may not weaponize a lawsuit and let people scare folks by saying you're going to get sued. Right. So here's the problem now. Um, Missouri is trying to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. What they're saying is that if a Missouri woman leaves the state and tries to get an abortion uh, under certain circumstances, if you help her, whether you're the driver or the doctor, you may be sued for out-of-Missouri conduct. And this, of course, totally defies the law. You you do not have a right to sue uh, in, in Missouri for conduct that happens outside uh, outside the state. But it's a more fundamental problem. Lawsuits require injured parties. The fact a state legislature says, sure, it's okay for somebody to file a lawsuit, even though they haven't been hurt, knock yourself out. Passing that law does not make filing such suits permissible. It's encouraging mm. suits where nobody was hurt, and it's hurting people who get sued when they have to resist an illegal lawsuit. If the legislature tries to do that, the courts should toss it out immediately and they're not doing that. I think progressives, in many cases, want to weaponize lawsuits, as we've seen in California, allowing consumers and basically anybody in California sue even though they personally were not hurt. And we've talked on the podcast before about how early on California law said that if you are not disabled and don't need a wheelchair, but if you see a gas station door that's too narrow for a wheelchair, the law used to allow you to to file a, a, a lawsuit. Does it bother you at all that that in some cases, whether you're on the left or the right, people like to weaponize lawsuits in this manner? Yeah, it definitely does, because the the goal of this Missouri law and the Texas law before it, they are very specifically uh, a, 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 a tool to try to evade judicial review. They are constructed and even by, you know, the text of the law, they say this is not, you know, we're doing this in order to not be reviewable by a court because a court can decide uh, that, uh, you know, the, the uh, courts are only empowered by their jurisdiction to protect the the person who has a fundamental right. right. In this case, Roe versus Wade says you have a right to get an abortion. It comes through the right to privacy, which comes through the penumbers and emanations of other rights in the, the Bill of Rights. But it doesn't matter. That all comes from the Bill of Rights. It all leads to uh, getting an, uh, an abortion, and, and you have a right to do that. And so the Texans uh, scratched their head, and they said, okay, well, we really don't like that. So how do we make it such that judges aren't allowed to overturn a law? Whoa, that is a wild way to come at drafting legislation is Mm -hmm. to say, how can we make this legislation immune from the fundamental concept of the checks and the balances of multiple branches of state government or federal government that our nation is built on? That is not the, the right way to approach this. Now, that bothers me deeply and is obviously a screwed up premise that should not be allowed to stand. But unfortunately, because our Supreme Court is so broken and partisan, there's no guarantee that they will actually take the action to say, hey, the, the separation of powers and the branches, different branches of government uh, matters. Uh, judicial review of legislation matters. Uh, and you can't do this because they might be so partisan that they'll just go along with it, maybe even just in part 
giving up seeding their own power. And this is a fundamental, uh, you know, powerful tactic in American legal history is it's much easier to get a court to give up some of its power because it looks better. It looks more innocent, right? Uh, it was sort of a, um, a famous, the famous case of Marbury versus Madison uh, was written in a very, uh, a very careful way where they said, well, we don't have an army. It's not our job to enforce laws like the president and the, and the, and the executive branch. Uh, it, we don't, we, we don't have the resources to be, you know, creating legislation and the input from the people who elected us. Uh, that's the Congress's job. We just do this one little thing where we can throw out any law we want, right? They create power by limiting their own power. And I think it was Andrew Jackson thing. who had the famous quote. He, he didn't like something the Supreme Court did. He, he said something like, yeah, let, let them enforce their decision. Right. Yes, absolutely. A very, very, very famous quote, because, yeah, the executive is the one with the army, right? The National mm-hmm. Guard. They make uh, uh, they make the moves out in the world. And the, the Supreme Court has to rely on the acquiescence of the other uh, branches of the government in order to do something like, I don't know, send the National Guard in to integrate a school in the South and Brown v. Board of Education, too, because they had to borrow some of the clout of the executive because they don't have their own army. Right. So. This tactic is very bothersome, the idea of evading judicial review on purpose. And it just coming out and saying that we're doing this. They're so empowered to do it because they have this conservative supermajority. Otherwise, they know they would be struck down in any situation. The California case with the disability uh, people being empowered to file lawsuits, even though they are not disabled or were not impacted, that one's much less concerning for me because that one is not uh, the idea is, is not to specifically uh, evade judicial review. There's no uh, reason why uh, the the court can't uh, review that law. It simply was to hand out the right to sue to more people. So the upshot of it is the same, right? The outcome is the same. But it also deputizes people to... Engage in legal action, file lawsuits, even though they personally don't have a stake, oh, yeah. they and, don't have a dog in and the fight. That that is a separate, you know, issue that concerns me much less, right? Theoretically, our court is only limited to this notion of cases and controversies where people are harmed. You can only file lawsuits where you are an injured party in some way and have some sort of damages. We only actually have that because we don't want our courts to be overrun with people who don't have real damages who are making up claims and and you know asking about something that doesn't matter and putting taxing our resources, right? So we say, okay, when somebody's harmed, that person can come in, okay? You can't just come in and ask for declaratory relief, that declaring that I am correct in any situation. You got to prove that somebody was hurt. And once you do that, then we will take the time and judicial resources to analyze this. So here's my problem in terms of the, the right getting tarred with this brush. I think extremists on both sides are guilty of this. Let me give you an example. Okay. It's sort of a thought of a thought experiment. What would a progressive say mm-hmm. to the idea that the legislature should pass a law saying every company's board of directors must reflect the demographics of the customers? So General Electric, IBM, whoever is buying their customers, according to gender, race, economic power, sexual orientation. If you don't have a board of directors accurately reflecting your customers, then 
you may be sued by consumers. No damages are required. Now, critics would say, hey, it's legal to let a company pick anybody it wants for its board, mm. so there's no basis for a suit. And progressives mm. would say, yeah, too bad. We like board diversity, so we want the possibility of suits to force you to do what we like. It's the same thing with abortion. Let anybody sue if a doctor uh, performs an abortion. Critics say, what are you talking about? It's legal to do abortions. Progressives would say, yeah, well, too bad. We dislike abortion, so we want the possibility of suits to force you to do what we like. The conservatives, that is, yeah. not progressives. Right. To me, both sides are extremists, and we shouldn't get I mean, the legal system involved. To be fair here, we're making up a guy and then being mad at that guy, right? We've made up- Mad a, as hell, we're yes. Ma- we've made up a law where pro- the progressives uh, have not passed. That's why we call it a hypothetical guy, But that's, that's some- Or gal. Some progressives might support a law like that, but that's the problem with like the, you know, the, the, the danger yeah, of- Liz Warren up to a polygraph and she's going to support it, trust right. me. Right, maybe, maybe she would. But even if she did support it, even if we thought that that was, you know, uh, 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 if we're attaching, um, even if we said that progressives did support that or we took a survey that showed that most progressives would support weaponizing lawsuits to accomplish progressive ends. My problem with weaponizing lawsuits to support progressive ends is twofold and only twofold. One, the economics of it. Courts are impacted. They're overrun. It's not. It's not the proper, you know, place to go for every single problem in society mm-hmm. to use a lawsuit to solve it. Lawsuits are the are the solution to several problems in society, maybe even many problems in society. But if they're not the problem, the solution to most problems in society. And if we try to use them as a as a solution to most problems in society, you overwhelm an already completely overwhelmed system, and you deny people who really truly deserve access to the courts their access to the courts. So here's, that's number one. The, the, okay. the one reason, the the big reason that I am not you know in favor of weaponizing lawsuits. So two okay. is that when we weaponize lawsuits, you risk overriding the other branches of the government who have made important laws that protect people like Roe versus Wade. Uh, and uh, the legislation that has protected abortion rights from Congress, you, you know, few and far between, sparse as it is, um, and executive actions that protect access to abortions. These are important. So we're talking now the substantive issues. What makes me unhappy about this idea of weaponizing lawsuits is what if they trample on important rights? And if the we- lawsuits are being weaponized to in support of important rights or to stop people from infringing on important rights, that is no longer a concern to me. And the only problem in my mind is, OK, I'm getting what I want politically, protecting people's important rights. All I'm no concerned with now is the economics of are the judges and juries completely overwhelmed? Are we wasting everybody's time and money? Is this the proper venue? But that's not some sort of moral thing. I don't have some notion that cor- cor- courts are holy or sanct- you know, sanctimonious and perfect and they must be protected and that courts you know, are only for certain disputes because they have been in the past. Why not use courts to solve our problems? I'm I'm so convinced. Can we logistically? I'm so convinced that Liz Warren would just jump at a law, even though it has no legal basis. I'm going to propose a deal for you. Okay. We get her to hook up to a polygraph (laughs) as to whether she'd favor this law. And if it turns out uh, she lied, Uh she resigns from the Senate. Okay. If it turns out she told the truth, I will write a check to the AOC re-election fund in the amount of $100. That's pretty good. Are you okay with this deal? A handshake deal right here. Let's uh, do it. There we go. Absolutely. Uh, a fist time because it's COVID. Uh, yeah, I'm going to call uh, Senator Warren's um, office. People. On I've it. heard people talk to your people. Yeah. On Tuesday. It's a good deal. When we come back, what do Apple computers and Elvis's estate have in common 
First, though, Connor's going to tell you how to rate and subscribe to Too Many Lawyers. Yeah, check us out on your podcast platform of choice. That's probably Apple Podcasts. Look for the join or subscribe button and, you know, leave us a comment or a rating. We love them. We read every single one. We appreciate them. We report them when they have profanity in them. It's great. (laughs) We really appreciate it. We'll be right back. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. I'm Connor Oaks. So the answer to the burning question, what do Apple computers and Elvis's estate have in common? Their own police force. So you've, have you heard of the Elvis police? They have a, a team of lawyers and accountants fanning out across the globe. They sue anybody who tries this to use a beautiful thing. You keep the image of the king. Somehow, you yeah. know. Well, you know, they, they've got a trademark or a copyright. And so, yeah. you know, it, it's certainly reasonable. But Apple has the same kind of team of lawyers and oh, accountants. Yeah. And, of course, the key to a trademark deal is if somebody is trying to confuse customers to yeah. hurt your image or to take your business when they don't really deserve it, then you're entitled to win in a trademark situation. But there was a case this week that, that got some uh, attention. Um, here's, here's, a, here's a fun question. Are people really going to think that a sex therapy company Ooh. is part of Apple computers? Apple gets to protect its logo, you know, the little name, you know, the picture of the Apple with the, a bite out of it. Uh, but when Genevieve St. John started a sex and life coaching blog a couple of years ago, she designed a logo for the business of a neon green and pink apple, which was cut open to uh, resemble a part of the female anatomy. Mm, fascinating. Not long after applying to register this logo with the patent office, she got a little surprise. Apple shows up in a 246 filing in a p- opposition to the trademark application. And they say it's tarnishing Apple's reputation, which Apple has cultivated uh, by trying to not associate itself with overtly sexual or pornographic material. So um, the, the, the fun fact is in the last several years, Apple has filed 215 trademark oppositions uh, to, uh, to folks. And it's part of the reason Apple is the most valuable public company. It's worth $2.6 trillion. Uh, they, people who resist these efforts call it bullying tactics and so on. Are you comfortable, Connor, with uh, the aggressive efforts by companies like Apple to to protect their good name? Oh, yeah, it's it's, ter- it's a terrible situation. It's horrible. I mean, when you have a giant mega corporation like Apple that has so much, uh, you know, rational uh, worry about the misuse or overuse or uh, parody uh, or whatever else of its brands, they are forced by the fact that they've got to deliver value to the shareholders, of course, forced to uh, zealously advocate for um, their own interest in protecting that. I mean, the Apple trademark, the Apple IP is worth billions of dollars. Billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. I mean, the name uh, alone is worth an incredible amount. The logo is is worth an incredible amount. The the style, the way that their laptops are built, the way that their iPhones are built, everything about it is worth so much money. So you can't go to to to, to CEO Tim Cook or Tim Apple, famously, uh, and say uh, to <laughs> Tim Apple, um, you can't say to him, "Hey, just cool it on the the legis- uh, the litigation, buddy," uh, because he'll say, "Are you kidding me? What if there is a point one percent chance that that you know this blog featuring a pear logo or this company featuring a, a green pear logo, which is clearly not an apple right. and not it's a totally different kind of fruit, not even." 
could shape like it at all. What if they blow up and become huge? What if they're a huge deal? But just some, there's something about the style of it and the art style that was used mm-hmm. that people think, oh, I guess this is an Apple spinoff. And they produce bad products or get bad press or whatever. And as a result... Drop the value of Apple's shares by millions of dollars. You want me to, t- to tell me not to take every possible precaution to stop that? So it's a totally rational, uh, reasonable position for Apple to take. Now, do they go too far? Do they do unreasonable things that you can't even be defended by a great lawyer like me in court? Absolutely. <laughs> and they shouldn't do that. But you got to go pretty far down the uh, into the realm of, of, uh, of ridiculousness before it's truly unreasonable for Apple to be doing this. I, I'll, I'll agree. It, this is not I, this is not all good behavior, right? The, the pair example uh, that well, that I just brought up. The, there's the the blog example, uh, the, the the sex uh, the sex columnist example. There are a bunch of these that are sort of the most egregious ones that get a lot of press. And yeah, Apple shouldn't have done that. But Apple's going or stomping around, stepping all over competitors and demanding that they pay fifty, a hundred thousand dollars to their own lawyers to defend what is legitimate use of people's intellectual property that's not one of these extreme examples. And in those cases, it's terrible what Apple's doing. It's really, really bad because in, in those situations, it is legal and reasonable for Apple to do it, but they're forced to do it by virtue of our uh, our IP system, our, our our copyright and trademark system, which badly needs reform. We need a system where it's easier to defend yourself from somebody like Apple because Apple is forced to act reasonably and rationally, step all over these people and force them simply out of business or out of that realm of using that logo or that name or whatever. Have They have to abandon tens of thousands of, their, of dollars in their own investment in that IP when they couldn't have reasonably known that Apple was going to show up at their doorstep just because they have a vaguely fruit-related name. So a few minutes ago, you referenced uh, Tim Apple. Yes. Uh, the the famous story, I guess, was that Tim Cook, yeah. CEO of Apple, meets uh, Donald Trump, mm-hmm. and Donald Trump accidentally calls him Tim Apple. Yeah, I think he's sitting at the table next to him, yeah. and he says, my friend, Tim Apple here. I don't know if you heard about the postscript, because what happened next week? Oh, no. Uh, yes. Uh, Tim Cook was making a speech, and he referred to it, President Donald Hitler. And, of course, that caused... Even some more strife. of a stir. It's going to cost. Let some me give strife. you a couple of examples yeah. uh, that, that you were alluding to there. Uh, Stephanie Carlisi is an independent singer songwriter. She was shocked when Apple took issue with the trademark of her stage name, Frankie Pineapple. <laughs> <laughs> Apple acknowledged that an apple and a pineapple are technically different, but they were both the names of fruits and thus convey a similar commercial impression. These kind of a stretch. Full okay? lawyer employment. It's the company insane. also considered objecting to Ms. Carlisi's logo an exploding pineapple grenade because that could frighten people away from buying Apple products. She oh, said, sure. She said, phones it's explode. not even an apple. Yeah. <laughs> she was doing a bad Jerry Seinfeld impression. It's pretty good, Jerry. Actually. Now, last year, Apple took issue uh, with the uh, attempt by a podcaster uh, named Brown. She has a podcast, Talk About Apples, based on her Dr. Apple's character. And in the opposition, uh, the company argued that people could confuse her podcast with its podcast service. It's an African-American witch doctor talking about fictional fantasy and monsters and ghouls, <laughs> Ms. Brown said. No way has anybody ever affiliated me with Apple. <laughs> Uh, but she nonetheless retracted her podcast's trademark application. So what are you going to do? Yeah, see, that's the problem is that people who have legitimate uh, you know, interest in their own intellectual property uh, get bullied because Apple 
all they have to do is send a letter uh, that has the f- same force and effect as saying, write a check for 50,000 bucks, 100,000 bucks or something like that. It's totally unreasonable. And that is the problem with the being forced to defend yourself in court. So in, in that in that sense, you know, it goes back to my my first gripe, the primary gripe the economic gripe is that people are priced out of being able to do stuff. They don't have the freedom as we should have in America to be able to do things because of the threat of these lawsuits. That doesn't mean, though, that every lawsuit is bad. It doesn't mean that every plaintiff's lawyer is bad. And lots of them are out there vindicating important, uh, you know, uh, plaintiff's interests, injured people being made whole by our court systems. That's what our court systems are really for. Uh, The problem is these uh, ultra gigantor mega corporations that can step all over anybody by abusing this public, what should be a public access system. It's like Apple going to the library. And because they have so many employees and money, they just rent every book out of the library. Oh, we're going to scan these and put them on the internet, uh, but we need to use them for a legitimate purpose. And so the library has to let them do it because it's a public access thing that anybody, corporations or people, they could do it too, right? And then the kids in the neighborhood come in and the the, the shelves are bare. I mean, that is what uh, it is like when these mega corporations abuse our court systems. You have to wonder if anybody was reluctant to buy an iPhone because they were frightened by the African-American witch doctor uh, and monsters and ghouls. Well, you might might get a curse, I guess, a witch doctor. You never know. When we come back, did Jussie Smollett get a raw deal in court this week? Stick with us. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oak. And I'm Connor Oaks. So our third and final big issue of the week, Connor, did Jussie Smollett get a raw deal of five months in jail there in Chicago? Was the sentence handed down by the judge? Uh, also, some fines, you know, about $25,000 fine, $120,000 restitution to Chicago. It kind of surprised some people because it was a nonviolent offense. Yeah. Uh, it was kind of his first offense. He had a, a, an earlier conviction. I don't recall what it was exactly, but it wasn't, you know, blowing up a busload of nuns or anything. It was pretty minor. And <laughs> sure. so it was treated as kind of a first offense thing. Yeah. And normally the judge acknowledged when he started to, to let Jussie have it, he acknowledged that this is a, typically a, a probation type offense. But wow, did the judge take off on him? Uh, he said it was extremely premeditated. He rehearsed the attack, orchestrated it to an exacting degree. You destroyed your life. You craved attention. You uh, the, you wanted to make yourself more famous. You threw a national pity party for yourself, lied to the jury for hours and hours. And, and the judge actually said, you know, you committed perjury, yeah. which was a little interesting because Jesse hasn't been charged with perjury. Which so is the a ju- separate crime. Yeah, a separate yeah. crime. So for the judge to say, you are a perjurer. Mm-hmm. So do you think the judge uh, went over the top or do you think uh, five months is about right for I what mean, Jesse put Chicago through? Yeah, I mean, it's not just what Jesse put Chicago through, right? What Jesse did casts doubt on the stories of legitimate victims of hate crimes. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's black and he's gay. And the story that he told that he created and fabricated was that he was victimized as a result of those features. And that means that the people out there in America and the rest of the world who are v- the victim of hate crimes based on homosexuality, uh, race or other issues are all now going to be harder to take seriously by, you know, the vast uh, sort of uh, inattentive middle of of humanity who's just like, ah, aren't there hoaxes? Don't people fake this stuff? I mean, 
that is a powerful line of attack against the legitimate victims of crimes. And it emboldens people to commit crimes because it makes it easier to say, oh, they're just making it up. Well, if that you is can who see the that. real victim of this is. Well, I mean, you, Chicago, sure, they got to pay right. some money. But you're yeah, right. that's the real. If victim. you can see this, why couldn't Jesse Jackson, Samuel L. Jackson, the president of the NAACP and the BLM, why couldn't they see the same thing? Because they all came out in favor of no jail time for Jesse. Well, that, I think, probably goes to the sort of broader context that we're in of why do people get jail time? Who gets more jail time? And is it just is jail time and other sentence type of sentences? Does that big picture issue justify going easy on Jesse? Yeah, I mean, the, the big picture issue of do black men in America get disproportionately unfairly high prison sentences and other punishments from the uh, you know criminal legal system, that absolutely is something that should be taken into account when you are sentencing a black man to, you know, jail time or other punishments. I mean, he's in 30 months of probation. That's, you know, with you know lots of limitations and all this restitution stuff in addition to actually being incarcerated. But mass incarceration is this massive problem in America. And we should be examining uh, ourselves and this judge and thinking, is this harsh sentence in this one specific case, in any one specific case, the result of our inherent biases and our, uh, our, our you know, self-justification of a harsh sentence for somebody. You could always come up with, uh, you know, a, a, a story why the, the crime that was committed was real bad. That's why they're on trial for that crime. But just because a trial, a, a, a crime was bad doesn't mean that the you know, perpetrator needs to be punished to the fullest extent. Otherwise, why would there be an extent at all? There would always just be the fullest extent. Oh, this is the crime. This is the punishment. That's not how our system works. Our system is you commit crimes, you go through the trial, and then there's this really fuzzy sentencing process where suddenly we just, we're, we're arbitrarily deciding what people deserve and prosecutors are doing recommendations and judges are taking that into account. And sometimes we ask, ask juries to take part in the sentencing and decide, you know, on that sort of different phases of the trial. It's really complicated and fuzzy. And we should be examining and saying, well, okay, yeah, there's this big picture bad problem. But at the same time, maybe we just lock too many people up. Maybe we lock them up for too long and maybe they're disproportionately black when we do all that. So maybe we should be really examining this, even if, yeah, he did commit crimes and it did have far ranging implications. And the issue of sentencing is pretty interesting because the pendulum swings back and forth. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people get the notion that, doggone it, judges and juries are just too soft on criminals. Mm -hmm. And so they watch a lot of Fox News and they hear that. So sentencing guidelines get passed, Mm -hmm. take the discretion away from the judge. And then at other times, we think, oh, this is too rigid, you know, the aggravating factors, mitigating factors, the judge should be able to have input. And so the pendulum swings. In, right. There's, but there's, people watch too much CNN and hear that. <laughs> right. And then the progressives are over there going, but judges giving judges discretion just means that they empower them to act on their implicit biases. So giving judges discretion doesn't actually solve the problem of over-policing, over-prosecuting, and over-sentencing. You've got to lower what the judges are allowed to do at all. Stop locking people up. So now it's time for America's favorite game show, Connor. Guess the verdict. Are you ready for the case of the yodeling nightmare? I'm psyched. Okay. If Connor gets it right, a, a melodious bell will be rung. And if he doesn't, then there'll just be yeah, a lot of tisking. Okay, here we go. A German couple took a Caribbean cruise to bask in exotic Latin American rhythms. Bask? I thought you said they were German. Sorry, go on. I'm but, sorry. That was, that but was. found themselves <laughs> instead, Connor, uh-huh. on a ship filled with Swiss yodelers. So they sued. They wanted their money back. Yeah. 
this actually comes from Frankfurt, Germany. It's, it's, it's sort of an exotic overseas legal dispute. So I'm going to have to put on my, uh, oh gosh, there's a name for the kind of, I was going to say put on my you know, hat. Yo, I could have put on my, but you know, your hat also means your role. So I was going to put on the name of the hat, the pointy hat with the feather in it that goes with the lederhosen. Uh, pause the entire podcast while I Google this. While you Google it, I can tell the story. That That's how the, the scandal broke when uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, it turns out, uh, was the father of his housekeeper's child. Uh, the little boy was wearing lederhosen. And so that's how Maria Shriver was tipped off. Is Very, that, did yeah, I, I vamp long enough that for you to look really it good. up? The Tyrolean. I'm going to put on my yes. Tyrolean, nice. and now we can do some German law. <laughs> so what's your guess? Uh, did the German couple win against the Caribbean cruise company, or did the cruisers win? Yeah, good question. I mean, this is... Uh uh, this is this is really comes down to what the, the this German couple's promised, right? If their if their ticket says you get to be on a boat, right, <laughs> then the jury's going to hear that and be like, well, you still got to be on a boat. You weren't guaranteed a good time, right? If you go and you get Legionnaires' disease, just because you know sometimes boats people get Legionnaires' disease on a boat, you, just like Andy Samberg, yeah, exactly. And you go and you get sunburned, you can't sue and be like, well, you promised me a great time and and I got sunburned. But if the entire <laughs> boat, every single single cabin is chock full of a yodeling convention and they're all yodeling at, at all hours of the night and you don't make sure that the, the the experience is good for your guests then yeah you probably uh you probably get your money back so i think that these germans uh they get their money back wasn't that john candy's character in planes trains and automobiles basically yeah uh, maybe i'm mixing up his movies you're right yes Yes, you were right. The uh, Frankfurt court said it understood why the couple was unhappy. They only gave them a one-third refund, a third of uh, $1,500. Still pretty good. Yeah, so uh, you you got it right. All right, we have come to uh, the time for our brand new feature, Connor. We've actually, it's one week old, so it's not brand new. And the feature is titled, Stories I'd Tell My Friends If I Had Any. To clarify, I have several stories. Now, I've got a story I want to tell, uh, but I think since I uh, went ahead and told the, the story last week, uh, you should uh, have the opportunity. To yeah, I'll inaugurate. I, I, I can uh, lead us off. Fire away. I would say a formative uh, life experience of mine, not a, not a too many lawyers relevant story. But uh, uh, I, I was actually kind of bizarrely proud when I was uh, younger uh, of the fact that I got through my entire childhood and early 20s without ever breaking a bone. And people would ask, oh, you ever break your arm or whatever? And I'd be like, I think I just got strong bones because no, I never broke them. You know, I just uh, <laughs> took a lot of falls, a lot of hard hits in sports, but uh, never, never a broken bone. Turns out not exactly Iron Man over here. Not exactly. Luck ran out. Yeah, luck ran out. So I'm uh, in my early 20s uh, and I'm in Phoenix, Arizona, and I am walking along a sidewalk um, and I've gone uh, with disoriented my, because of the heat. It was very hot. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm on a vacation, a trip, a weekend trip, and I'm with a, a friend of mine and we've gone to Starbucks to pick up a bunch of Starbucks drinks for uh, our other friends. So we're headed back to reunite uh, with our friends and reunite them, of course, with their, I guess, unite them with their Starbucks. And uh, I'm telling the story of a, a certain uh, teacher professor that I had once uh, who kind of acted, looked and acted like a billy goat. Uh, was That's short scary. and strong. I'd buff, ask my tuition back. Had a little uh, wispy beard. Um, and just like a billy goat and uh, was so strong uh, and athletic, he would just jump up on top of things. Despite being very short, he would hop up onto top of tall objects and talk to us. So he looked like a billy goat perched on a mountain. He'd get um, your attention. And he would get our attention. Absolutely. And he loved to do that. 
Uh, and uh, so I was sort of doing an impression of this person because it's a funny uh, I- impression, of course, and that's sort of my sense of humor to what do. What can go wrong? Crime. Right. And I'm perching, uh, I'm jumping onto objects, uh, and there's a big concrete bollard uh, pillar that prevents somebody from, you know, crashing into a convention center uh, and uh, sort of a thing. And it's on the middle of the sidewalk, and it's it's a perfect feature to jump up on and uh, show what it'd be like if you were being taught by a billy goat. And my so friend, it's like a, a goat in a parkour competition. Exactly. My friend Amir, who's uh, walking with me, uh, appreciates. I jump up on this bollard, and he's loving the impression. Uh, I, I'm perching like a little billy goat. I'm telling the story. It's going over very well. It's going over so well. <laughs> Well, I'm um, being very careful with the Starbucks cups I'm holding in my hands, by the way, um, oh a, a tray of four of them. Uh, I jumped down <laughs> and I think that went over so well. I'm going to jump on the next bollard and keep it going because uh, the goat is uh, is landing, uh, perching and landing uh, joke wise and also physically. Uh, I plant my left foot uh, to go for the goat uh, and, and jump up onto the next pillar. And uh, there happens to be on the sidewalk a banana peel. This is almost unbelievable. Like I mean, a, what are the chances a banana peel like would be your downfall? It wasn't even slippery is the embarrassing thing. It was like really Phoenix, Arizona. It's dry. Yeah, dry it's crusty hot. It's black. Peel, the it's, worst kind of it's, banana yeah, peel. It's, it's barely slippery in any way, but it's enough to unseat my foot just to just 10% such Yikes. that I get up on top of the next bollard, but I am just can't quite possibly get my weight on top of it, you know? And I start to tip, and I'm tipping... And my I, knee is hurting just listening to this story. As I as I as I'm tipping over uh, off the the top of the bollard, I go over and off the sidewalk and into the street all the way down, and it's like a five foot fall. You Did know, you save the, the lattes? My, and I'm reaching, and I don't want to break my fall with the lattes. Oh, I don't yeah. want to lose the lattes, so I'm holding the lattes out, and instead, <laughs> all hundred and whatever pounds of my seventy ish pounds of my weight land squarely right on the patella and i just crack my left patella in half lengthwise so i've got three patellas uh lattes everywhere everywhere completely lost and the good news is the largest tragedy 14 surgeries later you're you're doing better so i actually didn't get surgery until i uh got back to la from phoenix oh they don't have Uh, doctors in arizona and i didn't actually have to get surgery at all i was very lucky i came in with my my knee, you know, frozen in half, just just bent at a 90 degree angle, not haven't moved it in, you know, all uh, all weekend since I got back until I got back to L.A. And immediately the doctor saw me and said, oh, my God, we got to straighten that out. You, yeah. know, you can't have that be bent. So I've been keeping it bent, thinking I didn't want to move it. And he says, no, 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 bending it puts pressure. It's it's broken across. Right. If if you had you've been unlucky, the 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 bone was broken, but there's like connective tissue underneath holding it together. If you've been unlucky and yeah. held it bent for longer, the top half would have gone up into your thigh and the bottom would have gone down into your Whoa. shin. And then you need major surgery, open the whole leg up and stitch them back together. I guess super glue. So, yeah, I got real, real lucky. Really lucky. Absolutely. (laughs) Luck was involved there. Various types, I guess. That is an amazing story. All right. So um, I'm going to lay down a a little tale for you. I I call it uh, the lesson is leave famous people alone. Good policy. So years I've never ago, followed it in my life, but but good policy. So years ago, the Dodgers had a first baseman, and he also played right field. His name was Mike Marshall, 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mike Marshall and his wife and family uh, moved into town and they lived uh, three or four houses uh, down the road from where your grandmother, my mother, lived. Right. Yeah. So one day, yeah, one day, Grandma Beulah is pulling out of her driveway and she's minding her own business, driving down the street when all of a sudden, blammo, she's T-boned by Mrs. Mike Marshall. Oof. Uh, fortunately, nobody really was hurt, but you know, the cars were kind of banged up yeah. and, you know, everything got taken care of, insurance and so on. Uh, but that's not the end of the story, because a month or so later, uh, you, my wife and your mom, Lauren, and I are enjoying a fine meal at McDonald's in town. Fine meal. Yeah, just a mile or two away from the uh, scene of the crime. <laughs> And who do we see across the dining room in McDonald's enjoying his Big Mac? It's the famous Dodger first baseman, Mike Marshall. And so Lauren looks over to him and, and she says to me, you know what? You know what? I'm going to just go up and tell him no hard feelings about that unpleasantness, you know, with your mother getting T-boned by his wife. And I say, honey... I don't think so. He doesn't want to talk to the normals, okay? Let, let's just, just yeah, enjoy yeah, our chicken yeah, McNuggets yeah, just here. Just head down, mouthful yeah. of fries, let's yeah, go. Exactly. Listen, she says, no, no, I, I want to tell him. Everything worked out. It, no hard feeling. I, honey, I really, my instinct is, well, of course, you know the end of the story. Lauren it ignored me, and Obviously. she marches <laughs> up to Mike Marshall. Which, I, okay, no crime here yet. We're just approaching someone with whom we have a tangential connection. Right. And saying hello and, and uh, doing this apology. I, I, okay, I get yeah, it. Yeah, everything worked out fine. Yeah. So I'm, I'm munching on my McNuggets and watching her interact with him. And I can't help but notice, you know, I'm a pretty keen judge of, uh, you know, whether people are getting along. Guy. I'm yeah. a pretty perceptive guy. It's not a pleasant conversation. It's not going well. People aren't smiling. Nobody's laughing, throwing their massive head back and laughing. And, you know, instead it's <laughs> Is like- Is this your wife was a massive head yeah, or no, Mike? No, we're talking Mike Marshall. Oh, okay, okay. Well, first okay. baseman. You kind of have to have a massive sure. head. Sure, sure. play first base in the major leagues. That's true. So anyway, um, it's good she, backstop in the after uh, in the head. <laughs> about 30 seconds, she trudges back to our, our table. Defeated. I, I say, honey, you don't look very happy. What, what, what happened? And she said, well, turns out Mrs. Marshall hadn't told Mike about the accident. Oh, no. Uh, Pretty awkward. Can you imagine oh, no. the, the unpleasantness in the Marshall household that evening? So the, oh, the bottom no. line is, I, I reiterate my advice: leave famous people alone. Yeah, because I didn't even think about hardly that. anything good can come she from totally communicating with them. Snitched. All right, so we both Marshall. our both of our stories had elements of tragedy. Yeah, uh, maybe next week we'll have elements of comedy. I yeah. don't know. Everybody have a great week. We'll see you next time on Two New Ways. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.